welcome to the Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and every week I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons that they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two moms parent in the same way, and we should celebrate that and learn from one another. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast today, and if you like what you hear, please share the show with a friend. Hello, everybody. Boy, do I have a story for you today. My guest today is Jesse Bachman, and Jesse is going to tell you the most incredible story of bringing home her second daughter via gestational surrogate from Ukraine during the exact time that the war started in Ukraine. Jesse and her husband struggled with infertility for years. She has gone through so many challenges with growing her family. When they decided to grow their family via gestational carrier, they decided to do it through Ukraine, and she goes into that a little bit. She did that with her first daughter, who's a toddler now, and most recently with their newest addition, Vivian. While they were concerned about the geopolitical climate when they were approaching the baby's due date, they never could have dreamed the events that would unfold when they went over to Ukraine Her daughter was born on February 22nd, and the bombing started on February 24th. She talks about their journey out of the city of Kiev, out of the country, and back home to Southern California. Jessie is a warrior mom, to say the least, and you will be riveted by her journey. So let's get to my conversation with Jessie Bachman. All right, I'm so honored to be chatting with Jessie Bachman today. Hi, Jessie. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Good. I'm in Corona, California. You're in Orange County. Yeah, not too far away. Yeah, not too far away at all. And recently, you were abroad in Ukraine, and a new story came across my feed, I forget where, about this amazing journey of this Orange County couple bringing home a baby from Ukraine during the most crazy time to be in Ukraine of, of late. And I'm like, who is this amazing couple? And so I did a little digging and thankfully we connected and I'm so excited to have you here on the podcast. Oh, thank you. I'm happy to be on. Yay. Yay. Well, Jesse, for people that don't know you yet, will you give a little background on yourself and your family? My husband and I were actually both physicians. Um, we started our infertility journey in 2013. Um, unfortunately, um, IVF uh, embryo transfers to me never um, were able to be successful. So we started exploring surrogacy in about 2018. Um, my husband and I decided to ship four of our embryos from Irvine, California um, to Ukraine because they have an established surrogacy program um, there. And ultimately, we were able to have our first daughter in August 2019 um, with our wonderful first um, gestational carrier in Ukraine. Um, my husband and I w- were missed our first oldest daughter's birth, but we're able to get there within 24 hours to meet her. She's our perfect little angel, and um, we brought her home. After um, having her, we started... Um, looking in to start the, the surrogacy process a second time. Ultimately, we transferred two more embryos in Ukraine, and neither one of those were successful. One was a failed embryo transfer, and one was a 12-week miscarriage, which was very uh, devastating. Um, and then we transferred our final embryo in about in April of 2021. Um, our surrogate, that, that was with a new gestational carrier, um, she had an uneventful pregnancy, but towards the end of our serious pregnancy, um, my husband and I started to get increasingly concerned about the geopolitical situation in Ukraine. Um, he'd been following the news closely in January. Um, you know, the situation was becoming increasingly, increasingly dangerous for us to go over there as we were very concerned about a Russian invasion in Ukraine. On March 12th, our, our surrogate, who had already moved to the city of Kiev, um, per her contract agreement um, with the surrogacy agency, um, was hospitalized for low amniotic fluid. So my husband and I um, changed our work schedules around, got on a flight that Saturday, and arrived on Kiev, or on Kiev and on February 13th, 
with the expectation that our circuit was going to be induced on the 14th. Um, however, in Ukraine, they have a very different medical philosophy regarding um, induction on pregnant women. They're very reluctant to do it. So as long as the baby and mom are healthy, um, doctors there do not um, electively induce um any patients really. Mm. So as the surgery was hospitalized, they gave her IV fluid, her amniotic fluid levels improved. So the doctor on the 14th saw her again and he said, baby and mama are doing fine. We're not going to induce today. Mm. So my husband and I were a little um, upset about that. We asked the doctor if he could just reconsider just because of the geopolitical situation. But he, he declined as um, both the mom and the baby were doing fine. And number two, the people of Ukraine really didn't think Russia was going to invade. Okay. The entire time we were over there, everything was business as usual. No one was stockpiling water or groceries. Um, my husband and I went on a walk one Sunday morning, one Sunday afternoon. It was a beautiful winter day. Kids and families were outside playing everywhere. Just They have so many kids in Ukraine. Um, and if you look at the statistics of 3 million people who have evacuated the country as refugees, over half of them are children. Wow. So that's 0.5 million children have evacuated. That's how young their population is. And so anyway, as my husband and I were on the walk, I look at him and I, I, I just, I didn't understand the disparity or this discrepancy between what we were reading on the media and what was actually happening because from all accounts we thought for sure there's an impending invasion but how can there be all these kids and families out playing not panicking if if there's going to be one like it it just did not make a lot of sense yeah so that was on sunday and our circuit was set to go back to the hospital on the the 21st of February. On the 21st of February, they again discharged her home. They said she looked fine, but they were going to consider inducing her the next day as her amniotic fluid level was again a little bit low. That night, um, she went into labor um, naturally, but they um, helped the labor along by inducing her that morning. And we actually missed the birth of our second daughter. Um, so the driver, the head of the agency over there called us that morning and he said, this, this, the doctor decided to induce her surrogate. She's in labor a little bit naturally as well. I'll pick you up at 10. We'll go get the supplies to the hospital. Cause you have to pick st- supplies up to bring with you to the hospital. And then once we pick those supplies up, we'll head over. Um, our driver picked us up at 10 15. We got in the car. We were driving down the street from our Airbnb and, um, he received a phone call to tell him that our daughter had been delivered. Oh my gosh, no. You were so close this time. You were in the States for your first, and now you're like, you know, miles away. Shoot. I know. I really wanted to be there for at least one birth. Um, And unfortunately, we missed this one as well. Oh no. (sighs) I know. But we got to the hospital, baby and sir, the surrogate were doing great, um, healthy, nine pound, five ounce baby. So she... It was a big one, um, but they were doing wonderful. Um, I'm fortunate that my surrogate and I and my husband all had a, a great relationship leading up to her delivery. We stayed in contact weekly to bi week or to twice weekly at the beginning and every day, really, in the last couple six weeks of her pregnancy. Um, she's a lovely lady, and yeah. um, you know it breaks my heart for what she's going through and I'll touch on that more in a minute. Um, so anyway, so we're we in Ukraine, they keep babies in the hospital for about 48 hours. So on the 23rd, we went to city hall. We were able to obtain a birth certificate for Vivian, which is the name of our daughter, which is standard, um, which we did with our first daughter as well. Um, fortunately we were able to obtain the birth certificate, um, on the 23rd, because uh, if we had waited any longer, um, I don't know how we would have gotten her out of the country as easily. Right. Um, on the 24th that morning, or actually on the 23rd that night, I was FaceTiming my mom in the hospital. And I told her, I'm like, I, I'm really, that's when, um, the 23rd is when Russia invaded the eastern 
Phantomist region. And I told my mom, I said, Mom, I really think we should have left for Lviv tonight. Lviv is where the, the U.S. Embassy in Ukraine is uh, normally in Kiev, but because of the geopolitical situation and t- tensions with Russia, they shut down their um, an embassy and moved it all to Lviv, which is in the western part of the country near Poland. Okay. Um, so I told my mom that night, I said, Jacob and I probably should have left for Lviv because um, I just, I have a bad feeling about what's going on. And my mom said, well, you know, it's not, she's like, I don't want you guys traveling at night. And at this point it was 8 o'clock at night, so it was really too late to go anyway. And also, um, we had brought Vivian Infamil formula um, because that was only the gentle ease one. Because that's the only one my oldest daughter could take. Mm-hmm. But with Vivian, she every time we feed her, she was spitting up. Mm-hmm. And so I told my husband, I was like, "Why don't you go across the street? There's a 24-hour grocery store and get some more formula, a different brand." Told him to get the Hip brand, the European one, and let's see if she still spits up with that. Well, he bought it, and about two feeds in, the baby was doing so much better. She wasn't spinning it up as much. Uh-huh. So it was good that we were able to stop, stay that night to establish what formula she could take. Yeah. Because on the morning of the 24th, I wasn't sleeping very well as a you know, new mom, and also because of the anxiety of the situation. I just had a feeling something was going to happen. So on the 24th that morning, we're staying in the eastern side of Kiev, across on the other side of the river near the airport i heard explosions and i was actually texting one of my friends but i heard the explosions and i thought the first time i was like hmm, what is that and i heard another one i got up and i looked out the window i couldn't see anything but i woke up my husband and i said jacob i just heard some explosions that there's bombings going on and so he woke up and he's like okay um i go i'm gonna text the driver get in the shower real quick um Will you go across the street and buy some? And he's like, I'll go across the street and get more formula because all the formula we had brought, which we brought several because we were preparing for a worst case scenario. My husband went across the street to get the formula. I text messaged our driver who's going to pick us up at 11. Um, Our driver picked us up from the airport and actually he had been our driver um, when we were in Kiev the first time. Um, So I, I remembered him. So I texted him and I said, Alex, can you pick us up early to take us to Lviv? And because that's where the U.S. Embassy said to go once we got the baby's birth certificate. Um, And he had a 20-week pregnant wife and he said, I'm actually not going to take you today. And I expected such because why would, I mean, why would anyone? And so I was like, well, can you find us another driver? And this is a text message and so about 20 minutes later he texted me back he's like i found another driver he'll take you to Lviv, but it's going to cost you more money and i said that's fine so our driver showed up at the hospital um at this point and the nurses didn't want us to leave because they wanted to wait for the doctor to get there to evaluate the baby one more time and my husband they were very adamant that we not leave and i told him i'm like no my husband and i are leaving we're we're gonna go we're not staying. Hey everyone, I know you're on the edge of your seats with this story like I am, but I want to thank a show sponsor, which is Baby Mori. Baby Mori creates sustainable essentials for your new little one. And I can just picture Vivian in one of Baby Mori's cute little jammy sets. Their signature fabric is a unique blend of organic cotton and bamboo, which is gentle on the little one's sensitive skin and made using ethical methods that have a low impact on our planet. I, if you're like me, you want to pass down baby clothes from baby to baby, right? You want to get a lot of bang for your buck. And Baby Mori is a great way to do that because they are such well-made jammies. Baby Mori aims to make parenting simpler through innovative designs such as their two-way zip and extendable sleeping bags. You guys, there was no two-way zipper when I had my babies years and years ago. And so with Cooper, I'm so happy to have the two-way zip so when I change the diaper in the middle of the night... I can unzip from his feet and easily access his diaper. It has been so fabulous. Baby Mori designs are made with the highest quality, long-lasting, worn and washed, passed down on again and again fabrics, and you are going to love their designs, their colors, so darling, and their pajamas go up to six years old, which is super fun if you're trying to match your babies and your toddlers. So great. So, 
Baby Mori is giving our listeners an exclusive offer of $25 off when you spend $50 so you can stock up on the softest clothing for your little one or your baby or your kid. Visit babymori.com, that's M-O-R-I.com to redeem and use code M-O-M-S. You guys, $25 off an order of $50, you will not regret it. If you have a baby or you are getting a baby gift for somebody, check out Baby Mori. You will be so glad you did. Thanks, Baby Mori, for sponsoring the show. Now let's keep going with Jesse. Yeah, and he came and he picked us up and his name was Val and he only spoke Russian. So um, my husband and I couldn't really communicate with him too much. So Val picked us up and we started to get our way out of the city about 730 that morning. Um, And on the route, my husband and I were a little optimistic about getting out of the city because um, we had started our journey basically immediately when we heard bombs and we thought we'd be ahead of the traffic. However, it was the weirdest thing because the whole time we arrived in Kiev on the 13th and this was the 24th, so we've been there now 11 days before we left. This was the first day my husband and I noticed that people were starting to act like there was a war about to happen. Mm. Um, People were lining up at grocery stores. uh, Gas station lines were blocks long. People, ATM, hundreds of people were in line for ATM machines to get cash. It was a totally different stark contrast from what it had been just a few days earlier. Wow. As we started our journey, my husband and I, like I said, were optimistic. We thought we were going to get out of the the city early uh, ahead of the traffic. But it took us four hours alone to get out of Kiev. People were just filling the streets, and um, our driver, who was a taxi driver, um, he knew his way around the city very well. Too, is he would co- constantly switch directions, take different routes. We tried to exit the city through the northern part of the city um, initially, but um, the northern part of the city um, is where Russian troops were suspected to come from Belarus. So, as we got to the northern part of the city, they had already blocked off the roads out um, in that direction. Wow around and head west and west it was just traffic was just stopped the entire way and I told my husband as we were getting out of the city uh, like I said it took us four hours I said I hope we have enough gas because the lines in the gas station were just so hours long and as we kept driving we noticed that you know gas stations were running out of gas um, as we were going so we finally got out of Kiev and um, kept driving. Um, this one I was optimistic because it said we were about eight hours away from, um, or about, once we got out of the city, it looked like we were about six hours from Lviv. Um, however, my husband was constantly in contact. Um, I turned my cell phone off at this point just in case we needed to save battery because um, yeah. we didn't know what was ahead of us. So my husband was using his phone. We had a rechargeable battery um that he was plugged into as well val didn't have um a way for us to charge our iphones in his car so the battery we had was all we had left uh, i know <laughs> and you didn't know how long you had to save it for wow it was, it was wild yeah my husband was in t- emailing the state department our entire trip and um he told them we were on our way to Lviv, and they said well um, about noon, they emailed him back and said, well, we're not going to open the embassy in Lviv today. We're not going to open any um, ambas- ambas- ambassadorial services in um, Ukraine um, in order to get the baby's um, passport. You're going to have to either go to Warsaw or Krakow. And um, our best advice to you is go to the Polish border. So with Google Translate, we asked Val if he would drive us to Poland now instead of Lviv, which was a farther journey. And he said he would. Wow. Um, it would cost, but he would be happy to do it for us. And so we thanked him, obviously. Um, and we kept on our journey. Um, Lviv from Kiev in normal times is about eight hour drive. But in this case, we got to Lviv at midnight after having left um, um Kiev at um, seven thirty in the morning. Ugh. So, and as you're driving, are you seeing what are you seeing aside from like the people and people trying to to get out? Is it hysteria? Is it do you see smoke and bombings or anything? Mm-mm. We don't see any um, uh, bombings or okay. artillery. 
point, which, you know, I'm so glad about that. Right. But we saw it was, it was very strange. And once we were outside of Kiev, we just saw people walking with suitcases. Huh. And one guy was just carrying a white cat. And he was just holding it to his chest, carrying it. And I really wish I would have gotten a photo of it because we weren't going very fast at this point. But I asked my husband, I'm like, where are all these people walking to? Like, there's no trains running. There's no buses running. I don't understand where they're walking. Yeah. And there's just women, children, men, cats. Um, I didn't see many dogs at this point, um, but they were just walking. And I don't where they were going really yeah and then um as we got farther and farther out it was just a lot a lot of traffic yeah and you have a newborn i mean road trips are tough under the best of circumstances this is not ideal holy moly oh. poor vivian i know welcome she to the world <clears throat> yeah and actually we left the hot i in the united states we wouldn't have been able to leave the hospital because i'm pretty sure her belly ribbon was a little high she hadn't pooped yet and that did worry me but like I mean, you have to weigh in every situation along the way. My husband and I just had to weigh the risks and the benefits. Like, right. we thought it was more risky to stay in Kiev than to to try and make it to the border. She ended up having a bowel movement um, that next day, and she had three after, which was good. Uh, three that day in the car, but I was worried when we left that because she hadn't had one. Yeah, yeah, but you have yeah you have to weigh that weigh that. What's yeah what's going to be better. So you gotta, yeah. hit, I gotta hit the road. I would have done the same thing. Gosh, so you're on your way to Poland. God bless Val for being willing to change course and just get well, you I guys out. My, I told my husband too. I'm like, I do not know why he's still driving us because wow. he had someone calling him, yelling at him in Russian, which I assume was his wife that he left behind in Kiev. Right. I still don't know that for sure because you know, he didn't speak but it. yeah. Everyone knows the tone of that voice. <laughs> yeah. Like, Get, where are you? <laughs> yeah. So he kept driving us, and I think it was because we had a baby. If it was just me and my husband, I'm pretty sure he would be like, Sorry. "Get out!" Right. But again, wow. me and my husband wouldn't have been there if we didn't have a baby because yeah. we would have already been out. Right. Um, and the State Department kept telling us we don't recommend that you stay in Kiev, but when you have a baby, you don't have any options. Yeah. And it wasn't, it, with surrogacy laws, it's not like you can just move the surrogate to a different country. Um, Poland doesn't have surrogacy laws. Yeah. Um, it's it's different. So it's all dependent on the country. Even Slovakia doesn't have um, the same surrogacy-friendly laws for intended parents that Ukraine has. And we wa- we considered moving the surrogate to a different city, but at this point in time, it was a little too late in her pregnancy, and she had low amniotic fluid, so we didn't want to necessarily move her and not have medical care yeah. wherever she ended up going, because um, they have a very different system of medicine than they do in the U.S. Right, and what and what a difficult situation to be in. Here, you guys are trying to get out and flee with your baby as soon as possible, and yet here's the gestational carrier. She's not going anywhere. Like this is her home. Right. Yeah. And so that, that rub between like, well, we got to go, but also wanting the best for her, but knowing like this is her reality still. It was awful. Yeah. And as, like I said, we had been close with our, our, our gestational carrier and we had kept in contact with her. And when we got in Kiev, we, we saw her, we took her and her roommate out to lunch. We spent time with her um, and we photos of all that. And I thought she was a very lovely person but I was also worried about her safety because she has a husband and two daughters in her hometown that was you know several hours away from the city of Kiev and it was just a bad situation for us both yeah absolutely and not knowing what was going to unfold I mean here now we have hindsight we're like okay this was you know the plan or this was the target or whatever but like as things are unfolding, you just, you don't know, you don't have all the information and any information you do have is limited or, or potentially skewed. And so it's, I can't imagine that those it, moments. It was weird too. Cause we were asking our, our, we'd asked her periodically, like how she's feeling about, you know, Russian baiting. And she's like, Oh, you know, we don't, we don't see, they didn't, they just weren't worried about it. Wow. 
And it's hard to hard to um, understand that from our perspective because my mom my mom was like, I don't understand how they didn't think that Russia was going to invade. Like their country was completely surrounded yeah. um, by the Russian military. What they think that was going to happen? And I just told my mom, I'm like, well, they've been in a war with Russia for about a decade on the eastern side. And I just didn't think they just didn't think that Vladimir Putin was going to make the decision to invade. Wow. Wow. And yeah. I don't else to explain it. And my mom was emailing the surrogacy agency because my mom, I mean, all our parents were very invested in the health of us and the baby. Sure. And she said, what she kept asking them, what's your contingency plan? What's your contingency plan? And I don't really think that they developed a contingency plan because they didn't think it was going to happen. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, you just, you hope that the worst case scenario never happens, but here, here it is. Yeah. Here it's unfolding. So you're, you know, so you're stuck in traffic. You're, you're making your way. You're hoping you don't run out of gas. All of these things. I mean, you sound so calm now, like re recalling it, recounting it. I can't imagine it was always that kind of like, well, I hope, I hope we don't run out of gas. Like, <laughs> I'm sure you're sweating it a little bit in that car. Well, I was, and I kept telling my husband, I'm like, we're going to run out of gas. We are going to run out of gas. Cause he was driving my, our, our driver was driving like crazy. Wow. Um, he was like a crazy driver. And, but what I found out later, we, we eventually stopped for gas, like 10 hours after we started 10 hours. Wow. Um, I, I know. And the whole time I'm like, Oh my gosh, we are, I was, I never lost it at this point in time. I wasn't crying or anything like that, but I was, I was definitely stressed out, but he had a, a bladder in his trunk that had gas in it too. Oh, so, wow. How fortunate. Had, I know we had like the, I know it's like the little things on this journey that really, I mean, that really resonate with you are how something that could have gone wrong that didn't go wrong. Right. Um, and I'm not saying we had an easy journey because we didn't, but we were fortunate to get a driver. We were fortunate to have a driver who had a diesel car that had extra fuel storage. Um, we were fortunate that we didn't get a flat tire. Um, you know, we were fortunate that we made it, and I'll get to this in a minute, close enough to the border that we could walk at the warmest part of the day, which was still freezing, but at least it was the warmest part of the day. Yeah. So eventually you're stuck in so much traffic that out of desperation, you decided your best option was to walk, what was it, eight miles? It was eight miles. Yeah, we were eight miles from the border. And that morning, um, we reached a standstill after the traffic stopped in the middle of the night from like two to six. I think they the, the someone blocked off the road um, right outside the border city. And... Um, they opened that blockade at six. So at six in the morning, we drove about another, I don't know, 10 kilometers or so. And, um, but then at about 8.45, traffic just stopped moving completely. And my husband was looking at Google Maps and it was, he calculated on Google Maps that we're eight miles from the border. So at this point, I was like, I looked at him, I'm like, this traffic hasn't moved Actually, it stopped moving probably at 8. I was like, this traffic hasn't moved at all in an hour and a half. If we're 8 miles from the border right now and this is how fast we're moving, it's going to take us four days to get across. Right. And oh. so I, despite that we had a newborn and it was freezing, um, I, my husband and I were like, okay, let's, let's walk, you know. And I had baby, I brought a baby carrier with me, a baby K-Tan, um, uh -huh. because I had used that with my first daughter when we were over there. Yeah. I have, the streets over there, are a lot of them are cobblestone, so it's not like you want to have a stroller. It's just easier to carry the baby. Uh -huh. um, so I brought the baby K-Tan. We put her in a little snowsuit that we brought with us. Um, I, I swaddled her. I wrapped her in another blanket. And then I put her inside the K-Tan. And then my sister, who's from Connecticut, um, she lived in New York City with her youngest was born. And she baby K-Tanned her youngest and then put a zipped down jacket over the baby K-Tan. Uh -huh. Had her send me that, that down jacket and I zipped the baby underneath it. And my husband carried the bags and we just started walking. Uh. Um, when we first got out of the car, I had all these 
older grandmas looking at me disapprovingly and shaking their head. And I thought to myself, I hope I haven't made the worst decision in my life. Like my husband and I have come all this way and put all this effort into, you know, completing our family. And it's been a long road. And I just hope she doesn't freeze to death because of this. Man, what would you do if you were in that situation? It's always hard to break in for an ad at a time like this, but I did want to thank a show sponsor that makes Extraordinary Moms possible, and that is Crispy Greens. You've heard me talk about them before, and especially as we're talking about this with Jesse, people having food storage and being prepared for the unknown. Crispy Greens is an incredible type of snack that would fit in perfectly with your food storage. Back in 2004, Krispy Green emerged on the snack scene with one goal, to offer natural, delicious, healthy snacking option to consumers of all ages. And you guys, they have become the number one freeze-dried fruit brand in the country. Their freeze-dried fruit is delicious, they are flavor-filled, and there's no added sugar, additives, or preservatives. If you struggle like me to give your kids healthy snacks, but they're always reaching for the crackers or things with food dyes or things that you don't want them having, Crispy Green is a fantastic option because they're going to reach for it because it's the texture of a potato chip. I call it astronaut fruit (laughs) and it gets them wanting to eat it. Plus, crispy fruit snacks retain over 95% of their nutrients as fresh fruit. So yes, fresh fruit is awesome, but when you're on the go, Crispy Greens are fantastic fruit alternative. Plus there's a three year shelf life. And so like I said, add it to your food storage. You will not regret it. You guys can get 15% off all of Krispy Greens products with the code TNT15. So go to shop.crispygreen.com and use that code TNT15 for 15% off all of their products. We happen to like the strawberry and the mango the very best, but I'd love to hear what you love. All right, let's finish up with Jesse and see how they get out of the country. Anyway, no one knows what the right situation is because you've never been in the situation before, so right. you just have to do the best with what you're given. Um, I, I do think my husband and I made the right decision, and that became more obvious as we started walking because as we walked, we walked hours, and... Each hour we walked, none of the cars moved. Like, I thought as we got closer to the border, we might see traffic start moving. But the the eight-mile walk was literally a parking lot eight miles long. Um, Both sides of the highway were closed off to traffic. Their cars just parked on both sides. Like, we're smelling exhaust everywhere. So, I mean, at this point, I knew we had made the right decision. Um, We kept stopping to check to make sure that the baby was warm and breathing. And honestly, she was an angel the entire walk, but oh. didn't cry at all. Oh, Vivian. <laughs> wow. I oh, know. She's so good. Yeah. Um, so as we walked uh, to the border, we finally got um, to a place where they stopped letting cars cross. I realized at this point they weren't even letting cars across. And I didn't understand why they weren't letting cars across. But I told my husband, I said, look, they're not letting any cars across. And then we had to walk another mile and a half to the Poland border. Um, as we were walking this last mile and a half stretch, these two, my husband had been carrying two big bags, <laughs> two backpacks and a rolly bag. Oh my gosh. And fortunately we both exercise. So I was laughing at him. I'm like, he was like sweating and like, <laughs> like, pulling these bags and at one point he's like I need to stop and rest for a minute I'm and I start laughing at him I'm like good thing you work out he's like yeah it's all for this it's all for this moment this is putting it to the test (laughs) yes and so anyway um so we get to the stopping point or we take a rest and then we get to the Poland border and we're walking and these two these four little Algerian students come up to us and they're just carrying backpacks and they're like do you want help carrying your bags and my husband at first was like, no, I'm good. And I could tell he was done carrying these yeah. suitcases. I, I said, no, no, no. Now is not, now is not the time to be humble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so he ended up letting them help him the last oh. mile and a half. And when we got to the line, we got up to the border. And um, this was the absolute, I mean, this is the worst part of my trip. And it's funny because every time during this trip, when I thought, you know, things were going to get better, it just got, it kept getting worse. Like, Ugh. it took us four hours to get out of Kiev. Thought it was going to get better after that. 
and then it took us another, um, once we got out of Kiev, it took us another, I don't know, 10 hours to get to the border where we were to stand still. Once we got to the border, we had to walk eight miles. Once we walked eight miles, it was like, we're finally going to be at the border. It's going to be okay. Yeah. But no, this was the absolute worst part of our trip. Like, it was complete chaos at the border. There was absolutely no, nobody um, directing traffic. There was um, no order. People wow. were pushing each other. Um, everyone was desperate to try and get through the gates. And the gates separated um, customs. And then once you went through customs, you could walk into Poland. Wow. So um, there's so many women and kids there. Um, you, But it was sad, too, because um, this point it was martial law in Ukraine. So they stopped letting men pass. Wow. So families were literally being ripped away from fathers were told they couldn't go through if they were Ukrainian citizens. Wow. And um, kids were crying. But. Um, it was, it was just, it was, it's the worst thing I've ever experienced being in, in this pit. Right. Full of people, desperate and heartbroken and scared and, and trying to push through in order to get to safety. Wow. Um, at, I mean, it was definitely a crowd mentality. Um, you know, people were pushing everywhere and they were only letting a couple of people through the gate every you know, 15 minutes, they'd let, you know, two or three or four people through. And there were thousands of people waiting to get through. Yeah. Um, we got to, we finally got to the gate at about 1230 and 1.30. I looked at my husband. I was like, I don't know what we're going to do. I was like, we're not, I'm worried we're not going to get through tonight. And I don't know what we're going to do with our daughter. Cause I'm like, I'm like, Jacob, she can't spend the night outside. She's three days old. You're right. She'll, it's, I mean, it's cold now. It wasn't as cold in the crowd because so many people were together. But it's going to be in the 20s tonight. I'm like, you can't sleep outside with a newborn. Um, my husband had been texting the U.S. State Department, but there was nothing the U.S. State Department really could do because they weren't crossing the gate to get any citizens out. Um, what they told us was just keep advocating your case, show your U.S. passport, um, and just try and try your best to get across, which that, I mean, that's what everybody was doing. Wow. Thousands of people were doing that. Yeah. Um, but at this point, about two thirty, so we've been sitting at the gate, um, for about two hours at this point, uh, man next to us, he looked at me and he goes, he goes, how's your baby? And I said, four days old, which she wasn't four days old. She's three days old. And he goes, and, but I wasn't thinking at the time. And he starts yelling, Four-day-old baby, and he says this in English because not everybody is speaking oh, English. Wow, so yeah. many languages. Um, but he starts yelling, four-day-old baby, let her pass, let her pass. And the crowd just literally starts pushing me forward. No way. Um, it was so, it was so um, unexpected and so like. Um, what an illustration of humanity, right? It was. <sighs> and, so anyway, but it's funny because the crowd was packed together, like packed together. Um, like it wasn't like my husband could get the backpack off his back. That's how close wow. people were pressed. Um, so people start pushing me through. And as they're pushing me through, they're pushing me into people in front of them. And I'm worried that the baby's going to get crushed. Right. So they're pushing me, they're pushing me. And I, I put both hands up in front of me and I start saying, uh, I have a baby, I have a baby look out, look out. And I'm crying at this point because I mean, I'm, I'm number one, I'm overwhelmed by what's happening. And number two, I'm worried my baby's going to be crushed. Right. Um, but people like moms with kids were letting me go in front of them. Moms wow. with young kids. I remember looking at this one mom, she looked at me and she looked down at her two kids and she had like a five-year-old, a three-year-old and she moved over and let me go by. And I mean, I was like, wow. Right. Um, so anyway, I get to the gate and the border guards see that I have a baby and then they let me pass, um, through the gate, but I don't have any luggage with me. I don't have a formula. I don't have my passport. I don't have the baby's birth certificate. Where's your husband? He, was, was he stuck he, back? He, no, they did not let him go through. Oh, the wow. So. Oh my gosh. You're alone. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh, Jesse. I know. So I'm crying and I'm like, can you please let my husband through? And the border guards are like, no, he's going to have to wait. 
because they were prioritizing women and children going through, which, yeah. you know, right. I Under normal circumstances, that's understandable, right? Yeah. And so I guess, it, so I asked the border guard what I need to do, and he, like, points to a line. There's another line behind the gate, and that line's for custom. He goes, go wait in line. So I go wait in line. I stand there for 30 minutes, and I'm crying at this point. This is, this is when I really lose it um, because I'm a pretty calm person, but this was just so overwhelming. So I go... I go to stand in line and um, the baby starts crying. I know she's, Vivian's hungry. So I look at the people behind me and I ask them, they spoke English and they were American, Ukrainian Americans. Um, and they're like, yes, we do. I'm like, can you please save my spot in line so I can go back to the gate and see if I can get my husband to pass me the formula. So I go to the gate and fortunately my husband's tall because he sees me on the other side of the gate. And I'm yelling at him, I need the food, I need the food. So he packs me, the passes me the backpack with the formula and the water in it over the top of the crowd. Wow. And I throw it over the barbed wire gate. And then I go back to my spot line and make me a bottle. Um, I feed her. I stay there for about another 30 minutes. And I'm like, I don't have diapers or oh. her baby outfits. So I go back to the gate and I ask my husband to pass me her suitcase over the top and he's I'm just glad my husband's tall right kind of a, what I'm saying because he couldn't hear what I was saying right because he was far back wow. and so he passed me the baby suitcase so I went and grabbed that and um brought it back in line and we're getting to the closer line close close to the line at about 4 4 p.m and it's starting to get a little dark and I'm like my husband's not getting through tonight um and I'm worried about him because, I mean, we haven't slept really and since the baby was born that much. It's freezing outside. Neither one of us had anything to eat or drink today. Neither one of us had gone to the bathroom, which wow. isn't itself, especially if you know me. I go to the bathroom all the time. <laughs> wow, <laughs> My bladder's yeah. full. But um, so I go back to the gate, and I'm like, I have to get my passport and the baby's birth certificate sent over. Um, so my husband passed me their birth certificate and the passport over the top of the crowd. And I'm surprised. I mean, no one took anything. It made it right. Seriously. Uh, and that scared me to death. But then, you know, I called my mom, um, earlier, a little bit earlier after I crossed the gate and I was like, you have to help to get Jacob across. They're not letting men across. And my mom had been in contact. Like I mentioned, she kept emailing the service agency, but my mom had been in contact with, um, all of our state representatives in Arkansas and our state representatives in California. And um, she had um, been in contact with the State Department. So that whole day of the 24th, she is just on the phone constantly, um, getting in touch with people, begging to get us out. Um, my husband had been emailing them too. He fortunately had some battery left and he was emailing them in line. It's all, all because we brought a portable phone charger. Wow. Um, but he actually ended up, that portable phone charger was actually in my purse when we crossed, when they pushed me across. So I didn't get to give it to my husband oh. before I crossed the border. I couldn't pass that through the crowd. I didn't even think about it right. until afterwards. But um, so anyway, at this point, uh, I get through, I get into customs at Poland, but I don't know what's going to happen to my husband. Um at this point, my mom was just a saint through all this. And I mean, she could be on your podcast too. Yeah, I would love to hear her perspective. <laughs> she, she's, uh, she's fun, but she and our travel agent worked to get a hotel room for me and my American friends. Um, so we had somewhere to go after we crossed the border. And that's not something I had even thought about where, what I was going to do next. But they got us a hotel room, and the nearest hotel room was about an hour and a half away from the border. Uh, when we crossed the border into Poland, I mean, it was a completely, completely different scene than what it had been on the other side of the border. Mm. Um, Red Cross volunteers were everywhere. Food stations were set up. Currency exchanges were set up. Um, there was chaos. The border guards from Poland saw that I had a baby, and they didn't make me wait to go through customs. They brought me to the front of the line. Wow. They brought me into a side room, gave me water. 
Um, I was crying. They gave me tissues. Like, they were moms, too. They were women. Mm. And one humanitarian aid worker asked me, she's like, how is it on the other side of the border? This is in English. And I said, well, it's worse than you can imagine, because it is worse than you can imagine. It was awful. The saddest thing I've ever seen in my life. And unfortunately, even though we had a very horrible situation, the situation there is much more. Right. Well, well, yeah, and it's interesting what you're saying, like, this is the the, the worst part of the story, but what you're saying is not only is it worse for you and scary for you, but you witnessing what it's like for others, you know, like, you're not alone in this situation, and the thousands and thousands and even millions of people, like, you're talking these numbers, I mean, we can't even fathom the families that are being ripped apart, and the mothers going across, and the kids just sent forward, and the parents being like, I hope you make it. I, I hope we can see each other again. Like, I can't even wrap my mind around it. I mean, you should see, like, when I crossed the border, I mean, it was such a violent situation at the gate. So many people pushing. Really? That, I mean, all these little kids, you could just see the trauma from this. Just their faces. Right. They were crying. It's awful. Wow. Oh, like, my it's gosh. The first thing I've ever seen in my life. I'm you know? so sorry. I'm so sorry you had to so see that. Sadness. Yeah, right. And so you get across finally, but you're still hope like unsure what's going to happen with your husband. Yeah, so I have no idea what's going to happen. Um, we find um, I get a the, we had a Red Cross volunteer driver who volunteered to um, drive us from um, the border station, which was called the Shehai Crossing, and he drove us to a town called. T- to to bc which is um an hour and a half away and he was such a kind man like he was like i said a volunteer um offered to have let us stay in his house with him and his wife and his his daughter he bought me a phone charger because i didn't have a phone charger he bought he bought us food and water and a tea and i tried to pay him for everything because i had u.s dollars on me and he refused. He's like, no, no. He's like, it's my, I'm going to be, it's my, it's inhospitable. Like, wow. it's my home. I want to welcome you to my home. And he spoke Ukrainian. And my American couples, I said, we're Ukrainian-American. So they spoke Ukrainian too. But he was born in Ukraine, but he was a Pol- he lived in Poland now. Okay. So he drove us. We got to the hotel. What time we get to the hotel? Probably about eight, eight or so at night, eight or nine. And we checked in. Um, we're so lucky we had rooms. Um, but at this point, I still hadn't heard from my husband. And we honestly, all of us fell asleep in the car. There were my American friends, we had three of them. And they had actually had to stay outside the night before. They got to the board on the 24th, but didn't get across. So we got across on the 25th. Wow. And they had been outside in the cold all night. So they had a really hard time too. But so we all slept in the car. And then when I got to the hotel and my phone was dead. So um, it was charging in the car ride and it didn't charge. I didn't charge when I woke up. They didn't put it on the charger right. But <laughs> yeah. <Shoot>. So anyway, <laughs> oh, I no. hadn't heard anything of what was going off my husband at this point. Um. But ultimately, what happened is my mom got a hold of the U.S. State Department, and she got a hold of a man named Clifton. And she told Clifton that he was going to go and figure out a way to get Jacob across the border. <laughs> I love your mom. Oh, man. <laughs> figure this out, Clifton. On Clifton. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, you will get Jacob across. And anyway, Clifton ended up, they knew the border guards. Um, they have a relationship. So Clifton ended up calling the head border guard and the head border guard told someone to call Jacob. Jacob fortunately had turned on his cell phone because he was turning it on and off. Right. Turned on his cell phone when he got a call from the Ukrainian number and not all the border guards spoke English. So this one border guard said, where are you? And he said, I'm in the crowd. He was like, we're looking for you. You need to come to the car entrance. And remember, no, they weren't letting any cars across or the no cars at the car entrance. Uh-huh. Jacob told him, he's like, well, I can't get out of my place in line. He's like, well, if you come to the car entrance, we'll let you across. And at this point, Jacob had lost all our luggage. And um, 
you know, just abandoned it because it was not going to come with us. Yeah. Um, it was just too much. You, the only person, the only things you could get across the board at this point were yourselves. Um, so Jake went around to the car entrance and they brought him right straight through into customs. <gasps> um, and anyway, fortunately they did that because like I said, they stopped letting men through at this point. Wow. Um, I think it was the full wrath of my mother. Um, yeah. <laughs> on yeah. Clifton that actually got this this situation to um, um, transpire. But so my husband got through and he said when he got through, he got through just when it was dark and he said situation was volatile. People were desperate. He said he was so glad that me and Vivian got across and we did because the situation at the border just got so much worse. But anyway, so fortunately my husband got through and um he couldn't find any, there were no more volunteer drivers, um, at the, at the border crossing at this point. So he had to go to a train station and find a cab. And then he got to our hotel room at about 2 a.m. I cannot imagine that reunion, Jesse. <laughs> the relief. I, I was so happy to see him. Oh, I know. Oh. I can't even, I can't even imagine. And the exhaustion and just the, to be indoors anywhere. I can't even imagine. And we, it was funny, too, because neither one of us had any underwear, clothes, toothbrush for three days. You're I mean, a mess. Yeah. Yeah. Fortunately, wow. I was able to get the suitcase with the baby's clothes and diaper because I don't know what we would have done if we didn't have that. Right. Right. And the formula. So did and you still formula. have enough food for Vivian? Yeah, I had. We fortunately have plenty of formula. Okay. And formula, bottle, plenty of bottled water. Oh, good. Okay. Oh, but that is stressful. I mean, that's a whole other layer when you're not able to nurse your baby. Like, you have no other options. Like, I have to feed my baby this way. And that takes up a lot of space, and it's heavy, and that's really stressful. It was. And, I mean, like, we got to the hotel room and had two twin-sized beds, which I was – I they didn't have any cribs at the hotel. I asked them if we could borrow one, and they didn't have one. Yeah. So I put – Vivian in one of the twin size beds and I slept in the other and when my husband got there we just shared a twin size because I was too exhausted to sleep with a baby right right oh Um, my gosh so once you're there reunited what what was that next step we slept till like eight that morning we got up went breakfast got breakfast and then we took a cab ride to Warsaw Poland um we got to Warsaw that was a Saturday the U.S. Embassy opened up, especially for me and Jacob, um, to get uh, Vivian's first ba- er, passport uh-huh. on for all the people at the U.S. Embassy. But it opened especially for us. Wow. Wow. And so is that just exceptions that state departments and embassies make in these type of political, geopolitical climates? Like, yeah, you, if you're in touch with the State Department, like, they make that a priority. Is that how that kind of goes down? I've always wondered. They did, and I i mean, it's amazing because, like, the U.S. Embassy, um, I mean, the State Department, everything, they real I mean, they weren't going to cross into Ukraine to pick anybody up, but mm. once we got there, they were uh, very communica- communicative and, you know, flexible, and they did with um, our first daughter, you have to have a DNA test to get the passport to get back into the United States, and the DNA test you actually have to send back to a lab in the United States to process. Once it's processed, then they send the results directly to the U.S. Embassy, and then they issue the passport. But with Vivian, they weigh the DNA testing yeah. and just get passport so we could just get back to the U.S. as soon as possible. Right. How long were you planning on spending in Ukraine after Vivian was born, if everything had gone normally? Um, if there was not a war, with our first daughter, um, my husband was there about a week and a half. Okay. And own business so he had medical practice so we had to go back and work and my dad came for the second week um so we were there a week and a half two and a half weeks yeah. um wow. for Vivian we thought we would be in and out a little bit quicker than that okay. um just because we there weren't any holidays um in this time um, yeah. the USM closed for Labor Day and a Ukrainian holiday we were there with our eldest daughter wow. but so we thought it'd be a little bit faster but we ended up total time we traveled when Vivian was one week old which is the earliest the airlines will let you travel with yeah anymore. holy moly I can't imagine yeah. getting on that plane and being like we're going home we're going 
we're going home. But then also having, I'm sure, that visual of what you're leaving behind. <sighs> what a what a moment. My husband and I had a few days to decompress in Warsaw, and I think that was really good for our mental health mm. because we just saw we saw so much devastation sure. and. But the devastation we saw is nothing compared to the situation as it is right now. But when you see, when you experience that trauma, and I just feel so bad for all the all these children who are experiencing that trauma because I cannot imagine if my youngest daughter or my oldest daughter had to go through that and witness it. Like right. Overwhelmed. Right. Absolutely. Have you been in touch with the surrogate and how yes. she's doing? She's doing okay. Um, she's back. Her building that she was in actually got bombed, um, shelled that night. But she was able to get back to her daughter in her village. Um, oh, I was able to contact her that next day. Yeah. So. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Well, I just, I appreciate you so much sharing the story. I think so many of us, in America feel so helpless and feel so confused kind of by what's going on, what's actually going on. So to hear firsthand what is, is going on and, and why we need to donate, who we need to donate to, like what, what is your sense? Like how can we best help or what do we need to be aware of as Americans now going about our day-to-day lives, knowing that this is still going on for people over there? I mean, the thing that I would just like to stress is these are, these are lovely families. Yeah. Um, there's so, as I mentioned previously, there are so many young kids, and the Ukrainian population is innocent. They didn't yeah. do anything wrong, and to have your home invaded so unjustly, I don't know how you can wrap your mind around that. Sure. Um, but I think that the most important um, things to be aware of there are lots of organizations that are really working hard to um, help the Ukrainian people. The situation on the Ukrainian side of the border is so dire, and it breaks my heart for what these people in places such as Maripol are going through because the Russians aren't letting in any any food or water yeah. or medical aid. They're blocking the whole city. But there are certain organizations that are trying to help, and the good ones I've that my husband and I have researched are UNICEF is great, um, the Red Cross, Save the Children, um, and International Relief Fund okay. are the four that seem to be doing a really good job. Okay. Oh, and had it not been for that, that dear driver, you know, just volunteering to take you to, you know, his own home, like there are good people. There are good people wanting to just help their fellow man. And oh, yeah, there are. Wow, that is so incredible. I bet landing and being reunited with your older daughter and everything. What a sweet, sweet thing. I bet she's so excited to be a big sister, isn't she? <laughs> she's a good sister. She's a sweetheart. Yeah, and Vivian's doing good health-wise. She seems yeah, to be. Yeah, she's doing great. Oh, she's what a relief. Good girl. Wow. Oh, this is just such a miracle and just so many tender mercies all around from the battery chargers to the extra gas to the driver. I mean, just so many little things that just went in your favor that yeah. amounted to you getting home safely. And obviously, we're still thinking of those left behind and, oh, such a hard time, but I just really appreciate you sharing the story and everything. You're just incredible and a new mom, and I just hope you enjoy, you know, these these next months. What a special time for your family. Oh, thank you so much. Absolutely. I always ask my guests one final question, Jesse, and it's this. What would you tell your pre-motherhood self? <laughs> um a lot more work than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Well, yeah. Li- literally, you had to walk eight miles with this baby strapped to you and then some. So. <laughs> um, I think I would tell my pre-motherhood self um, actually this. Um, I mean, with so many infertility journeys, we had so much heartbreak along the way, but um, it was worth the wait. Yeah, that's lovely. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you for sharing your story. All the best to your family and... Yeah, thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks, Jessica. Can you believe that story? 
for all we're hearing of what's going on over in Ukraine, obviously our hearts are breaking and we feel so helpless over here. I'm going to link everywhere that Jesse mentioned that she has found to be reputable places to donate. Corinne of Mint Arrow is also an amazing um, contact right now and resource. She is raising money to go towards somebody who has boots on the ground, a man named Andre. He's doing a food delivery service in Ukraine right now, and um, that's another great place to donate. I'll link to her amazing podcast with Andre and her Venmo so that you can donate over there if you feel compelled. I'm so grateful for this firsthand account of what is going on over there. And obviously, all my thoughts and prayers are with these families that one day they're taking a walk around the block with their family and with their kids and they're playing at the park and the next, they're fighting for their lives, they're hiding, they're being torn apart and I cannot fathom and I think just by sharing stories like this, it can keep that perspective in our own lives of how grateful we ought to be for the stability and safety and security that we have and then also look outside ourselves to see how we can best support others who do not have that same luxury right now so thanks jesse for coming on the show she had a toddler and a baby that she was juggling and i'm so grateful she took the time i'll link to everything at extraordinarymomspodcast.com and if you don't already follow me you can do that on instagram at jessicadalquist3 Thanks for tuning in today and we'll see you next week for another episode with another Extraordinary Mom. Bye.